Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine Podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout-out before we begin to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who've supported me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. So another huge shout-out to all the awesome patrons, Mr. Big Bents, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neo Royal, Nick S., Infamous Fridge, and Frugal Brutal for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. As you may have been aware with some of my more previous episodes, I've been really trying to do a deep dive into the world of CEDH so that so I can try to learn a little bit more about this side of the format and really get my competitive side out. I've been talking about this on quite a few of the podcast episodes, and today will be no exception. In order to be able to talk about this and try to bring in some of my more jank brewing style and things, it's time to talk about trying to build off-meta decks. In order to do that, I'm going to introduce an amazing guest, an amazing person here to the show, Mab the Queen. Welcome, welcome. Hi, hi, I'm Mab the Queen. So, uh, Mab, before we begin, where can people find your content and your decks on the internet? Sure. You can find uh, me personally on Twitter uh, at MabTheQueenMTG. You can find my stream uh, uh, at twitter.tv slash MabTheQueen. Uh, or you can find my YouTube channel, which is MabTheQueenMTG. All right. Sounds good. So, uh, Mab, before the show, in the pre-show, we were talking about a brand new CEDH kind of off-meta deck you were you just built and you're just going to play. Do you want to walk us through a little bit your thinking about that one and what exactly you're uh, trying to get out of that, since we're going to be talking about off-meta, off, kind of off-the-wall deck brews for this episode? Sure. So, yeah, what sparked the conversation was I just finished building a deck uh for a competitive build of sarulf realm eater uh the deck does is it really capitalizes on the fact that in cedh in particular there are a lot of uh sources of mana that come from sacrifice people sacrifice their treasures people sacrifice their lotus petals people sacrifice uh various creatures to do tutors uh, there's just a lot of things that go to the graveyard. And Sarulf happens to get plus one, plus one counters whenever a permanent goes from play into the graveyard. And then ruining people's day by removing all of the plus one, plus one counters from Sarulf during my upkeep and exiling everything that has that many, uh, that much CMC or less. It's a weird niche that has not been filled in the meta that I'm looking to take advantage of. Yeah, definitely. And and again, when we were talking about this before the show, it didn't take long for me, even someone who I would consider a novice at all this, can definitely see exactly where you were coming from here. Because again, CDH is filled with a lot of very low CMC mana rocks. 
Uh, we get all the treasure tokens, which are zero. We have things like Lotus Petal, Mana Crypt, Chrome Mox, etc. It's are all down the line, all being zero. You have a lot of one, as well as two CMC creatures and uh, rocks and whatnot, especially like Dockside, for instance, here. Gonna gonna call out the, the Goblin Pirate for this one, as usual. <laughs> and yeah, it, it this definitely seems like a really good build to be able to not only kind of stacks your opponents out a little bit, but also be able to police the table, which is something you don't normally get to see in green and black. It's true. You don't see control lists in green and black, but my deck runs uh, a good number of instant speed kill spells, both for creatures and for artifacts. Uh, also takes major advantage of the fact that uh, CDH is a majorly dockside meta. So the fact that people are sacrificing so many treasures to go off uh, means they can't do it for value. They can only really do it when they're trying to win. If my commander just says, sorry, buddy, <laughs> your treasures are... Uh, definitely only for your win turn yeah that that seems definitely to be taking advantage of something in the meta i i really like where you're going with this one map and we'll definitely see where that goes with some play testing behind it and i think that'll kind of lead us into today's episode topic which is trying to brew off the beaten path for cdh um, again, this is, I, I would consider, uh, a topic that can have def a lot of different ways to look at it. We do have the deck database for CDH, utilizing a lot of very proven decks, a lot of proven strategies for the CDH meta, but there's always room to be able to try to find something brand new and then try to be able to bring that to the table when you sit down with a group of three others at the CDH table. And I did the same thing when with my own personal homebrew. Now, again, mine's probably a little bit more slipshod because I'm just getting into things, but there's definitely something to be said for trying to build something a little bit outside the ordinary. Yeah, I mean, if you're not having fun with a deck, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at. Uh, so if your big thing is, you know, I really enjoy doing this style of play or... I really enjoy this thing. Uh, yeah. You can always bring that up to the most powerful levels. You just have to figure out where that little gap in the armor of CDH exists. Yeah, definitely. Because, again, I, I, I keep coming back to my own CDH deck here. Um, again, I did, for those who've been listening, did build a Lend of the Dusk Rose as a CDH fringe, kind of a fringy deck. And basically, I've tried to bring a lot of my more casual brewing skills to the CDH table while also having some very simple combos that I can understand while I'm trying to wade into that side of the format a little bit. So there's quite a few aristocrat-style effects here, creature loops, enchantment loops, things that I can do to try to be able to burn out the table um, if, if I'm able to get one big... Uh, cook-off turn so again that's my personal example of trying to say hey you know a lot of these a lot of these cdh decks have extremely powerful but also very complicated lines what if in my case i try to while i'm learning you know try to figure out some very simple lines using things i already know how to use and then try to find a way to be able to bring that up to the highest level and then be able to do something with it so i completely understand 
I think it's one of the more fun puzzles about the whole CEDH meta is how do how do we do that? How do we take uh, aristocrats, for example? Uh, aristocrats is by far and large not a popular strategy in competitive games, uh, but has legs because uh, I mean the simple fact is we're getting into a more creature-heavy meta in CDH these days. When I first started, I was on. Uh, just basic stacks and I didn't have to worry about my life total that much because not enough people were utilizing uh, creatures to start pressuring life totals these days. That's changed quite a bit. Uh, so, and creature-based stacks is, I mean, let's be honest, Winota is one of the most winning decks out there. <laughs> uh, so an aristocrat strategy is a really interesting niche to deal with what the most popular deck is out there. Yeah, if and... you're running if, if you're running effects that punish people for playing creatures, congratulations, you're fucking with one of the most powerful decks in the meta. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think I'm necessarily uh, running a lot of creature hate against other people in this deck. It's mostly just running uh, creatures death triggers on my side of the board. But you're right. I guess I didn't really think about that this deck, if if it works correctly, can somewhat hose, or at least the idea is to potentially be able to hose some of those sorts of decks too. So that's that's actually a really interesting way to look at it. I mean, I, I guess another way to think about where we are in the meta with the Dockside loops is, as, as you said, try to find a way to be, you know, Dockside can't be looped, uh, looped if it get, gets exiled, right? Exactly. It can't be looped if it gets exiled. Uh... I mean, one of the first aha moments I had was when a friend of mine, Sage, told me about Horribly Awry, which is a blue counterspell that counters creatures, uh, CMC three or less, and counters them into exile, uh, which it's like Dockside loops are a problem. Reanimating Dockside is a problem. If you counter it, it might just come back again. If you get rid of it into exile... Congratulations, there aren't anything... There's nothing in CDH right now that pulls creatures from exile. Mm -hmm. And th there's hardly and any cards that pull uh, anything from exile, just even in casual. They're just... Yeah, there's not like, much there's out like there. There's like five cards total. Yeah. So once that Dockside's gone, it's effectively gone, gone. And you don't have to worry if, about it. If that's someone's main win strategy is to do Dockside loops, then congratulations, you've ruined their day. <laughs> but but that's all that's kind of the fun about cdh though is you know you're like i said on previous episodes is you're giving everyone your best shot and you expect them to give you them your best shot and if you're able to effectively neutralize what their deck is trying to do or you know really take a huge engine out of their deck well all of a sudden you've kind of i mean i'm not gonna say you've removed them from the game entirely but you've certainly knocked them down a peg or two and that you know, doesn't hurt you when you're trying to execute your own game plan. It's one less thing to worry about, and that's super nice. Like, the fact that if I get rid of the person who's on Kiki Snoop Lines, if I get rid of their Kiki Jiki, uh, sure, they can eventually kill me with beats. But I've taken... I've taken a cat, I've removed its claws, now all it has is its teeth. 
Well, uh, at least if you're not playing a uh, Skylar's Rurik Tharg deck, you may not have enough turns to be able to get away with that. <laughs> Who knows? It's it's all very it's all very pod dependent. It's all very meta dependent, and busting metas is the name of the game when you're brewing off meta. Okay, so. Like, um, Mab, again, now that we've been talking a little bit about uh, trying to build around the meta, um, what would you consider to be some of the biggest tenants besides uh, Creature Heavy and the Dockside loops right now in what we consider to be the meta at this very point in time? So right now, as far as I can see, is the color to beat is red. Uh scariest decks that i see out there all have red in them um we have our underworld breach loops we have our dock sides we have uh i mean pass is always a problem uh as a commander winota is always a problem as a commander uh Quark and Sakashima, always a problem. Mm -hmm. Quark, Quark anything, honestly, is <laughs> always a problem. Yep. Uh, it's it's a simple fact. Red is the color of CDH these days. And not because of any one card, but because of a number of synergies that it provides. So what about red necessarily uh, screams CDH right now? Because, again... I know over the last couple of years, we've been getting a lot more powerful red cards, and that's where this is definitely coming from. But what if specifically is red doing that other colors are not doing that makes it such a threat right now and so pervasive with throughout the meta? So red gives access to Dockside and Underworld Breach. Those are the two cards in particular that uh, just say, I, a combo with a ham sandwich. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't know, but also sounds... access to really powerful commanders. Uh, Ajila, Prark, uh, Winota, yes, they're all extremely powerful commanders that just as their baseline abilities are super strong. Like, Kess, the ability to use a tutor twice uh, and potentially one turn. You can Demonic Tutor and Demonic Tutor. Once from hand, once from grave. Mm -hmm. makes That makes Kess really strong. Uh, having uh, Underworld Breach with uh, Lion's Eye, Diamond, and Brain Freeze, that's, you know, that's going to win you games. Mm -hmm. um, and then but, obviously the Dockside loops too. I mean, Dockside just gives you access to so much mana. It's even without looping it, having Dockside is typically two mana to get you anywhere from four to ten mana. Which is absolutely insane, honestly. <laughs> Especially when you consider that it only costs you that one in a red. Yeah, and, and, and that's what's nice about it. The other extremely good part about Dockside is it's one of the few rituals that exists that you don't have to spend the mana right away. Mm-hmm. So, whereas Dark Ritual is a really strong card, 
uh, dark ritual, you have to use that mana before you change phases. Otherwise, it's just gone. Same thing with uh, things like pyretic ritual, desperate ritual. Just trying to go on down the list here. Yeah, they, they all they're yeah. all very they're all dependent on that. Whereas again, you're right. The treasures you can sacrifice them when you need them, or you can sacrifice them in response to someone else's dock side. I I seem to see that a lot where you're just you you don't have the use for that mana right there but you don't want someone else to get it so you'll just crack all your treasures just to spite another player i guess it's it's less to spite another player and more not to give up your position true true so if if you have the ability to essentially strip mine a player uh, who might have enough mana to just go off and win that turn. It's it's less spite and more self-preservation. Yeah, I I I guess I said spite a little bit because that, that sounds more like uh, what we might say in more casual games. It's like, well, you could do that just to, you know, quote-unquote spite someone, but whatever. I, I digress. So yeah, now, it, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's just the strategically correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want is uh, another player to be able to potentially get up to, let's say, 20 treasures. If you've already hit your dock side, you've got seven to eight. Then everyone's got their zero and one cost mana rocks out there. Well, all, all of a sudden, it's 18, 20 treasures they'd be creating. Well, if you can cut that in half, you've already basically uh, have the concept. You, you've reduced the utility of their dock side and given them access to less mana. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It's definitely the more strategic move to be able to at least deprive them of some resources, even if it does set you back a little bit. I I would definitely rather set myself back a little bit and of something that is going to be ephemeral anyway. It's not like I'm sacking lands in response to a dockside. Mm -hmm. I'm just sacking something that I knew was going to be temporary. That's That sounds like a really good business plan there. Okay. Now that we've talked about uh, the meta and what it's looking to do right now, Map, when you're building a new deck or you're brewing a new deck, what do you really take into account first? What I guess my question is, what is your MO when you start trying to brew a new CEDH deck? So when I'm brewing CEDH decks, I have an ABC plan. A. Uh what is the meta doing to win right now not value what are they doing to win b what can i do to stop that c what can i do to win myself so i think that is quite different than a lot of people do a lot of people are very fixated on what i consider step c they want to they care about what they can do to win how they can protect their win and how they can disrupt other people from winning so they do it in the reverse order that i do it okay yeah that definitely makes sense i mean again even in the more casual side of the format we're always or at least i find myself always thinking okay how how is this deck going to do the thing I want it to do? It really doesn't matter what it is, but we, we're, we're kind of programmed in a lot of cases to think about what can our deck do. And it's interesting to see how you're kind of putting that on its head and you're trying to think two steps ahead uh, just by considering what others are doing before you even get on down the line to what you're ultimately trying to do. Because 
and when you attack the meta effectively, or at least you're trying to shift your strategy to deal with the meta, you are giving yourself access to a whole bunch of different ideas, and then you try to funnel that down into a one or maybe two concepts of what you're really trying to do with that deck build. Exactly, and what it allows me to do is really capitalize on the fact that a lot of the cards in uh, CDH are very inbred. Now, you see a lot of the same, I don't know, 400, 500 cards over and over again. Uh, and when you're building to punish those specific cards that you see over and over again, uh, you wind up with some pieces that people are not, they haven't built their decks to deal with what you're doing, and they're unsure what you're doing until it's too late. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, I just really like the idea of trying to work with your interaction first. That's like I, like I just said a moment ago, that's definitely kind of changes the way even I look at my own deck building is again, in casual, we don't necessarily have a meta, but when you have that access to knowledge about what people are probably going to use, it makes it a lot easier to be able to plan. You, you know you're not going to be seeing a whole bunch of these ridiculously high CMC cards that you might in a Battlecruiser game that I typically build for, where something can just come down turn 7, turn 8 that you've never heard of before. And CDH, that's probably not going to happen so much. And, Unless it's yeah. in the command zone or sure. it's in, in a polymorph deck, you're not seeing a 7-drop unless it's in very specific decks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, Tide Spout Tyrants definitely counts there, but typically you probably know it's coming. But uh, yeah, no one expects uh, the Spanish Inquisition when, when they come knocking, I suppose. Um, exactly. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, yeah, it makes it so much easier just to, to kind of know what people are playing and then just plan around that. Because you're... I don't want to make it sound like you're not trying to advance your own game plan, but in a way, you're kind of grounding yourself knowing that I want to do X, but there's a very good reason for doing this because I'm going to probably face against this. You, you, yeah, you're basically thinking so many steps ahead before you even really build that deck. Well, and I was talking last night with some people, and one person asked, is... CEDH harder than EDH and the consensus was building for CEDH if you're brewing for it is much harder than brewing for uh, you know, the more casual meta but uh, playing it is not harder uh, and specifically because you know what you're coming up against when you're playing in CEDH uh, you'll wind up playing against players like me occasionally but people that are bringing their very weird homebrews to a CEDH table, it's rare until those homebrews wind up on the deck, deck on the deck list database. Yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly more and more. <laughs> I'm, I'm not holding out hope for a Linda to end up there, but you know, if, if it helps me kind of fit, uh, scratch that itch to build a homebrew and try my hand at CDH, that's, you know, half the fun of it for me, coming from the more casual side where I just, I'm a kind of a compulsive brewer. I want to try something a little bit offbeat and, you know, just see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I am first and foremost uh, 
I originated in casual games. Uh, I most of the games that I play are casual games, even though I'm very passionate about CEDH. Uh, I probably play 60-40 casual, uh, taking the advantage on that. So it really, it, that also really informs just how much uh, like flexibility you can potentially have in uh, CEDH people that come from just playing in meta, they're missing out on some very interesting interactions. Did you know that a card like Tainted Aether can fuck up a hate bear strategy so badly that they will try to target you for the rest of the game if you get it into play? Uh, yeah, I can I can definitely imagine. There's There's always some weird... Uh, weird hate card and for those who don't know what tainted ether is tainted ether is an enchantment for two black black and it reads whenever a creature comes into play its controller sacrifices a creature or land yeah you're right this definitely hoses things like Najila, which is a house hoses winota hoses just yeah just even general hate bearer stacks these strategies even more aggressive decks this just bodies them completely and it forces them to spend removal on it if they want to progress their game plan. And while their removal might be more expensive than I hate piece, my hate piece sticks around until they can remove it. Mm -hmm. And you also potentially have the political advantage of some of your opponents also wanting that card on the table to be able to hose said Najila Winota hate bear stacks player and they, you may be able to get them not to remove it because they see the value in keeping this on the board to keep a set other player in check. Oh, for sure. And the way I play Commander, it's very political. I play with people first, decks second, uh, which is why off-meta off brews like mine can work because I know that if I play certain pieces at certain times, I can use my opponent's emotions and their want for this person not to get too far advanced or to see this strategy slightly punished or whatnot they might protect my pieces honestly yeah whether with uh counter spells or with uh just some other kind of protection piece yeah that definitely makes sense not a lot of people brew that way not a lot of people brew the expectation that they can get people to fight over their own pieces. And and I think that definitely comes down to a misconception about CDH, is I would say that a lot of players don't think CDH has politics, really, oh, especially not in the oh, same way casual yeah. does, but it definitely does in this exact example is you're basically forcing your opponents to make a value judgment on how badly they're, if or if at all, they're going to get hosed by your Tainted Ether card, and they may want to either A, destroy it, or B, protect it, or I guess C, not really care if it doesn't mess with their strategy, but you potentially force your opponents to make a value judgment in-game, and then they have to try to act upon that. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting little political piece in CDH's own version version of politics. Yeah, I mean, even who you're swinging at, what you're sending resources to, 
when you're spending resources to remove a piece, all of that is, at least in my experience, and I've only been playing CEDH for a year now, uh, but that comes so into play. It's it's less uh, salt politics. You don't see a lot of salt politics. Uh, you see a lot of going to advance your game plan and is it a smart idea for you to do it now or should you wait until later mm -hmm. definitely a lot more like uh snap judgments i guess versus knowing that you're probably going to have another turn to be able to try to figure something out so you yeah you got to make a lot of quick decisions in this part of the format i mean even if my uh painted aether for example is hosing you at the moment uh, if you spend your resources on your turn to try to you know, get rid of it, uh, are you going to have enough resources to go out uh, over the person who whose turn is after you uh, who will take advantage of the fact that they didn't have to spend that resource to get rid of it? Yeah, so you're kind of two-for-one-ing yourself in that way. Yeah, it's... It's pretty, it's pretty gross. That's one of the wonderful things about knowing how to work that is the fact that you know if you know how to defend your pieces verbally then you know how to play a hate piece properly uh, mm -hmm. if you can't defend if you can't defend it verbally then i'm sorry that you're just king making <laughs> someone's going to blow it up out of hand even though it would better their state later on, a people are emotional beings. It's no different in CEH than it is in Casual Commander. Mm-hmm. Visceral reactions to stacks pieces just fucking exist. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, I mean, that's the long and short of it. You build your deck to take advantage of gaps in the meta. If, if the meta becomes highly creature-dependent, build your deck to punish uh, the fact that there's so many creatures coming into play. If it's highly uh, artifact-heavy, throw in a collector oof. Put your Karn the Great Creator in there. Uh, if the deck is... If the meta is super spell-slingery... Run Rurikthar, make everybody cry because they're going to just die when they cast enough spells. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's the only way to build off meta is to build to punish meta. In competitive yeah. circles, anyway. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now that we've been talking about uh, some of these kinds of interactions... What are some of your favorite kind of off-meta cards besides Tainted Ether that, you know, do a lot of work but are not necessarily within that somewhat homogenized CDH uh, card list, card pool? Sure, let's talk about Pernicious Deed for a second. Okay. Uh, Pernicious Deed is a generic, a black, and a green. That's an enchantment that says pay X and sacrifice it. Destroy each artifact, creature, and enchantment with converted mana cost X or less. 
So in the CEDH meta, uh, CMCs are really low. Like, if you're hitting above four or five, you're going to be real surprised. So for eight mana, it's essentially a board wipe. Uh, in my Sarulf deck, for example, it's a two mana, destroy almost everything, make my commander really big, and ta-da, <laughs> you've hosed some decks while making you be able to punish people's life totals pretty well. Uh, another really good one is uh, Viridian Revel. It's a generic green-green enchantment that says whenever an artifact is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield you may draw a card again it's a dockside meta yeah uh, viridian revel says when they spend their treasure mana you get to draw a card which gives you more chances to get that thing that just poses their game plan yeah i i do run viridian revel in my sithis casual deck because it's an enchantment costs the one the green and if again in casual maybe people aren't cracking as many treasures at least not in the the groups that i plan but if you do run across someone or more more frequently in my play group board wipes or you know more specifically artifact wipes when all of a sudden you're just getting a huge burst right there so i mean yeah that's definitely a card that scales really well at all at all levels but definitely in cdh yeah i mean and the fact that it's an uncommon that's like it's a two dollar card it's like it's very accessible it's gonna draw you a lot of cards and if you're in colors that don't draw cards super well at least not without punishing you like green and black like i'm running uh mm -hmm. it's just gonna give you bonuses to get your stuff uh i don't think force of despair is something that you see a lot in cdh and I'm unsure whether or not it's going to stay in my deck. Okay. But, uh, it's a generic black-black instant. Oh, this one. Yeah, I remember this one. It, it works like all the other forces. You can exile... If it's not your turn, you can exile a card of the same color from your hand instead of paying its cost. And this one says, destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn. Now, it's in my deck for very specific reasons. Uh, it's a free spell for one. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, uh, if someone has a big dump out everything turn, like, cool. If you get to the point where you're going to win off of those creatures still being in play, uh, I can just get rid of all those things that just appeared. Uh, if someone is comboing off with Kiki Jiki, uh, which is easily my favorite card, and uh, it's sad that I have to run things to combat that. But <laughs> if someone's swinging in for 5 billion uh, Esther Mites with their Kiki Jiki combo, uh, sorry, they're all dead now, and my commander is infinitely large. Uh, if somebody's uh, doing the dual caster mage combo with heat shimmer or uh, twin flame, which makes an infinite number of dual casters uh, with haste, uh, this is going to say, 
nope, sorry. Uh, you go to combat, I kill them all. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It really, yeah, you're right. It, this definitely hoses those, those creature combos so heavily. And if you have to cast it from your hand, it's still fairly decently cost at one black black, too, if absolutely necessary. Yeah, it's... And it plays off my commander's strengths, which is it destroys stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, other things that are off meta. I guess my my creature package is not off meta right now. Uh, sorceries are not either. Those are probably the most like super off meta things. The big thing that's off meta is my commander and the fact that uh, I'm running. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm running 10, 11 kill spells in the deck that are instant speed, mm-hmm. which that's a lot of targeted removal for a deck. Um, but there's not enough of that in the CEDH meta. People can just go off with creature combos. And this says, uh, no, thank you. Definitely, definitely. So I know they're running a little bit short on time, so I think I have one more question for you before we call it good. Um, If someone is going to say, hey, Mab, I'm interested in getting to CDH, but I don't want to necessarily build something right off the deck database, what would you recommend they look for in a commander? Kind of, I I guess, more in like the fringe way to get started, kind of like how I did, but how would you try to walk someone through trying to find a, a bit of an off-the-wall commander in out of meta, I, I guess, in this way to help get them started? So if you're going to get into the meta, the first step uh, to know is you need to know what the meta is. Uh, you have to be aware that there are certain styles and certain things that are prevalent. If you don't want to build one of those things... You should at the very least know what they are uh and once you know what they are you can strategize well this is the common win cons these are the common value engines what can i do that either stop that benefit from that or i mean rarely go faster than that if you manage to find something that goes faster than some of the turbo decks that are out there, congratulations, I'm proud of you. (laughs) Uh, But in the meantime, uh, I think punishing the meta or taking advantage of the meta in obscure ways uh, is probably the best step. If you want to see some of the like more common places to see things that are really off meta um stay up nice and late and watch chalaxamundar on mental misplay uh it's there's almost always at least two or three uh off meta decks throughout the night and it's a good way to see how various people brew those off meta decks otherwise come talk to me i'll chat with you a little while about uh weird off meta builds (laughs) that actually sounds really good because again like i said at the top of the show this is definitely in my own wheelhouse and casual 
I like building those weird decks that, you know, make people ask you what the heck that thing does. So to be able to bring that to CDH is definitely my own building style. So it sounds like we, we basically do the same thing, just I don't have the knowledge of the meta. Give yourself a few weeks of immersing yourself in the meta, you probably wind up exactly at where I'm at. Right. Well, sounds good. Well, uh, thank you, Mab. I appreciate so much you taking the time to talk with me today about this. We had a really good conversation. Sure. I really enjoyed hanging out with you and talking about uh, one of the things I'm most passionate about in the game. All right. And again, where can people find your content on Twitter and just on the internet in general? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MabTheQueenMTG. Uh, you can find me streaming on Twitch usually every other week, uh, either talking about Commander or playing Commander. And that's at twitch.tv slash MabTheQueen. Or you can find me on YouTube. Uh, I think my channel is called MabTheQueenMTG. I only recently started doing that, so <laughs> we'll see. All right. And if y'all are interested in finding me on the Twitterverse, you can find me at at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find the entire back catalog of the MTG in Quarantine podcast on the usual podcast outlets. It's Google, Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Podcaster, I believe, CastBox, Radio Public, uh, Breaker, etc., etc. If it if it's a ra- major ra- yeah, podcast outlet, you can probably find me there. And I'd like to utilize this opportunity to give another huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who've supported me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. So another huge shout-out and thank you to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neil Royal, Nick S., Infamous Fridge, and Frugal Brutal for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.